Welcome back to the Bulwark Coast of Hollywood. My name is Sonny Bunch, culture editor at the Bulwark. Uh, and I'm very pleased to be rejoined again by Frank Pelota, uh, who, who uh, when we did the show, he did the show like six, seven weeks ago, was like, I got to come on, uh, do summer preview. We're going to talk about everything that's coming up this summer at the box office. And I'm uh, real excited to have him on because we do have a lot of great movies coming up, but also kind of an interesting stretch of features here. So, uh, Frank, thanks for being back on the show. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So let's do let's do the summer preview, right? Uh, we we are back to an almost traditional kind of summer movie season, right? It's about to kick off on Memorial Day with Top Gun Maverick. Uh, folks are excited to to get back up in the sky and IMAX and whatever. What's going on there? Well, what's really been interesting is that. Last year, right before the summer started, I was kind of like, this is the most important summer of all time. Like, we're coming off the pandemic. Uh, we need to get these movies back on the big screen. They need to bring in a bunch of people in order to kind of recuperate the losses and just the decimation of the movie business that happened in 2020. And every single person I talked to, from studio executives to analysts to experts, were just like, no, no, no. This year, like 2021, is the dress rehearsal. 2022 is actually more important. And the reason why is because, you know, the pandemic is still ongoing, but I, I don't think that people are really, it's not at the forefront of people's minds the way it was a couple of years ago. I think people are returning to the movies. I think we're seeing uh, a lot of people go to much more kind of different movies. I think we've seen some different movies kind of be successful, maybe not like in the way that they were successful, you know, 15, 20 years ago. But like, now we're heading into the summer and and you said it started uh, Memorial Day. In my opinion, it started a couple weeks ago with Doctor Strange. That was the official opening of the summer movie season. And Doctor Strange so far has had a, a nice you know opening weekend. I think it was interesting that it kind of dropped like a rock in its second weekend, but that's kind of standard for Marvel movies at this point. And now we head into a very interesting weekend next weekend because we have Top Gun Maverick. And from all the reviews about Top Gun Maverick, all the word of mouth I've heard, I haven't seen it yet because I wanted to see it with a big crowd on opening day. Everyone who's talking about this movie is going insane about this movie. Like I, I made a joke on Twitter. I was like, this movie better change my life because everyone who's talking about it is basically like, it's incredible. It's, it's, it's a real time movie. Like they actually are flying the jets. It doesn't feel like it's a cartoon and it actually feels like a throwback to the movies of the eighties and nineties. And what'll be interesting here to see is if this movie does well. So right now it's tracking for about 80 to $100 million. That doesn't seem like a lot, but it is. It's gonna probably be by far Tom Cruise's biggest opening weekend ever. His biggest opening is around $65 million for War of the Worlds. This is gonna blow that out of the water most likely. And it'll be interesting to see what type of legs this movie has, because if it does well, then that's going to bleed into you know, June, in which we have Jurassic World Dominion. We're going to have also Elvis, which is very interesting at the end of, uh, you know, coming in. And that'll be interesting to see how that movie does, because that's not really based on any IP other than Elvis Presley. And that stars Tom Hanks. And it's Baz Luhrmann. He always has a good time with those movies. And then we're kind of like going to like, it, it, it's not exactly, you know, a murderer's row every single week of blockbuster movies, but I don't think it needs to be. I think I think that is something that's only popped up in these last couple of years. This is, feels more like the the summer movie seasons that I kind of grew up in. Mm -hmm. um, and we're going to see very interesting movies pop up. Everything from, you know, family films like Lightyear and, and uh, Minions. We're going to see other things like, 
you know, uh, we're going to see Nope. We're going to see Thor, uh, Love and Thunder. We're going to have a bunch of these different movies pop up. And it'll be really interesting to see what these movies do, not just in their opening weekend, but in the weekends to come afterwards. Well, I want to I want to step back to something you mentioned before uh, real quick. The, the drops on these MCU movies. Um, so if you look at the if you look at the second weekend drop on, uh, I think, Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh, Black Widow and uh, Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness, uh, you basically are seeing between 67 and 69%. I think it's 67, 68, 69% for all three of those movies, which are, it's it's pretty it's pretty consistent. And those are also much larger drops than we're kind of used to seeing for this sort of movie, especially for like Spider-Man No Way Home, which gets an A-plus cinema score, um, still drops 67%, but that's also, you know, off of a 200 and... $60 million opening or whatever, right? So right. that's not that's not the biggest thing in the world. But the Black Widow drop is 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 pretty surprising because that was on a smaller opening. And I think the I think the Doctor Strange drop is a little bit surprising too. Uh, I mean, are are these movies just now so front loaded with uh hardcore fans who show up opening weekend who are always gonna be there that we should expect this sort of drop from now on? Or is it something else? Um I think it's a bit of uh I think it's what you're saying and also something else, which I'll explain in a second. But let's start with what you're saying. I think that these movies have always been front loaded. I think they've always been get there that first weekend so that nothing gets spoiled for you. That has been baked into the brand of the uh, baked into the brand. Uh, but what's interesting now is that for years we had characters that were incredibly beloved that kind of gave people a reason to go back you know, the second, third, fourth weekend, even to go see it multiple times. You had Iron Man, you had Captain America. You know, those characters are gone. And Marvel, to a certain extent, has still beloved characters like Thor. It still has Doctor Strange. But are they as popular as, say, you know, an Iron Man or a Captain America? I, I, I don't know. I, I think that argument can be made that they're not. Spider-Man's not owned by Disney. It's kind of controlled by Sony. And unfortunately, tragically, with uh, Black Panther, you know, Chadwick Boseman died. And that movie is up in the air. Like, we don't know what that movie's going to be when it comes out in the fall. Even if it comes out in the fall, I, I, I wouldn't be shocked if it got delayed somehow. But what'll be interesting to see is with Thor Love and Thunder is how that movie does in the drop-off. Because that's a Taika Waititi movie. A lot of people like what he's done with the character. He's a, like, Thor is really the last remaining Avenger from the original crew that still has these type of, like, big blockbuster movies. But I think the other thing that's going to be really interesting here, the other point is that it's not just front loaded, but are people kind of saturated with Marvel at this point? Like, that's my question. I, I think, you know, $180 million is $180 million. And, and Doctor Strange has made $750 million worldwide. That's not without China, you know? Spider-Man didn't have a China release either. And my question is, is can you keep making these movies for 200 to $400 million without a Chinese marketplace? Because you kind of need these movies to all make a billion dollars to really kind of bring in, you know, the type of, you know, profits that Disney and Marvel wants. The question that I'm asking is that, you know, before you used to get about three Marvel movies a year and they really felt like events. They really felt like these were kind of the three Super Bowls of the movie season. And now you kind of get the same amount of movies. Maybe you get three or four, maybe you get a little bit more. But then you're also getting like five to six TV shows that you have to follow on Disney+. Plus. It just kind of takes away the special quality of Marvel to the point of where it feels like these movies are still front-loaded, but maybe I don't, you know, I think people are maybe getting a little bit tired of them a little bit. I, I think there are also movies that are kind of 
made in a warehouse. They look very cartoonish. They they all look exactly the same. They all feel like they don't have any stakes. They're movies of middles. They're not they're not a movie that stands on their own. I, even Doctor Strange, which I felt like it was a very complete, you know, standalone movie, you had to kind of watch WandaVision to understand what was going yeah. on with the character. And I think at a certain point, as what we're seeing with streaming now, uh, this kind of fall from grace for the streaming marketplace, Marvel, you know, is looking at this and it's like, if everything is special, then nothing is. And that is going to potentially maybe cause people to go, you know what? I really don't care to go see this movie at all in theaters. I'll just wait for it to come out on Disney Plus in a few months and just catch up then. Yeah, I just think at this point, there's nothing immensely special about them. And that's that's really dangerous for Marvel and Disney going forward. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I, the only thing I would say to push back on that is if you look at the top of the box office charts, right, since since the pandemic, but also just in the in the last you know six months, year or so, what are the biggest movies? It's Spider-Man No Way Home. It's the Batman, it's Doctor Strange, you know, I like these are still these are still the things that are drawing and like the big box office successes that everybody likes to, you know, kind of point out and cheer, including me, you know, everything everywhere all at once is going to pass 50 million dollars this weekend at the box office. That's great for a movie of that size uh, and like kind of a smaller indie movie, lots of subtitles and whatever. But like that's not that is not the, you know, world champion uh, thing that is getting everybody out to the theater still. That's not, you know, right. But then, I, but then it's like, it's cause and effect, right? So like if, if the movies that you're only seeing marketed all the time are these big tentpole superhero movies, then those are the movies you're going to only going to go see in theaters. I think the thing that'll be really interesting here is to see what happens with the Chinese marketplace and see what happens with streaming in the next year. I think there's something to be said where it's like, I mean, a great example is, you know, w, WBD, the company I work for, Warner Brothers Discovery, uh, the CEO, David Zaslav, has basically made a point of saying, you know, we're probably going to, we want, he, there's stories, reported stories out there that he wants to up Warner Brothers, you know, movies in the marketplace because they only put out like, you know, a few movies last year. And most of them were on, and all of them went to HBO Max. And even this year, there's not a ton of movies. You can't put out 17 superhero movies. You just can't because what's going to happen is people are going to get really sick of it. So yeah, all of those movies are right now at the top of the marketplace, but it's also a marketplace that hasn't seen a ton of movies, but even the movies that are doing well, that like people like, maybe they're not top five, maybe they're not making a billion dollars, but like a movie like the lost city starring Channing Tatum and, and Sandra Bullock, like that movie brought in $135 million worldwide. That's, that's pretty good for a romantic comedy. The new screen brought in close to hundred million. That's pretty good for a horror film. Uh, you know, everything everywhere all at once, it's going to bring in $50 million, which is good for an A24 indie. I, I think where we're heading is a place where like, if you talked about these movies five years ago, they would have been disasters because they didn't bring in a billion dollars. They didn't bring in $500 million. Is success still that in this marketplace? I think that's what we're going to be asking ourselves, you know, this summer. If a movie like Nope, you know, the Jordan Peele movie, if that brings in, you know, $200 million, if made on a budget probably that's no more than 50, are we going to start thinking, well, that was a bomb? No, we like that. That has never been the case in the history of Hollywood. It's always been that these movies that bring it, like it used to be if the movie made $100 million, it was success. And then that it, then it became $500 million. Then it's a billion dollars. And it's like, we kind of have to change what success means in Hollywood, especially if the number one marketplace in the world, China, is no longer going to take the movies. And I think, you know, we're going to be really interesting to see that dichotomy this summer, 
especially as we head into the fall and the winter. Yeah, yeah. I uh, you you mentioned um, uh, that we we are in a slightly different sort of uh, blockbuster release schedule. Basically, we're looking at something every. I was going through the calendar before the show, and it's basically every two weeks or so, and it's not even. A blockbuster every two weeks, right? There, We do have a blockbuster tentpole-type movie in Jurassic World Dominion coming out in two weeks. Uh, and then two weeks after that, you've got Lightyear, which is, by the way, we'll talk about this in a second, but this is the first family film to come out since The Bad Guys. You're basically looking at a six-week gap or so between family films, which is crazy to me, but we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, then a couple weeks after that, you've got The Black Phone, horror film, smaller, uh, kind of the last of the COVID-delayed films to get to get pushed back. And then a couple weeks after that, Thor, Love and Thunder. A couple weeks after that, Nope, that's another horror movie. And then a couple weeks after that, Bullet Train, which is an original uh, action movie, star-driven Brad Pitt-type picture. Um, When you talk to uh, studios and executives, have they kind of come to the realization that they were cannibalizing their own marketplace by releasing a $200 million movie every week or, like, $200 million movies every three weeks? It's insane. It is insane, but I think that they, I don't think they were thinking about it as that. I think that they were kind of like, I I think what happened here is about five, 10 years ago, Marvel changed everything. I think people saw the ability to, we can make these pre-awareness movies. Because the most important thing in the the box office right now is pre-awareness, which is the knowledge of a movie coming in. It used to be, before it was brands and IP, it used to be movie stars, like, you know, this movie stars Tom Cruise, so and it's directed by Tony Scott, and I like Top Gun, so I'm gonna go see Days of Thunder. You know, like that's how it used to be. Um, but now they realize it was these bigger brands, and they were like, okay, well, if we can fit in four to five Marvel movies this year, that's going to be, you know, four to five movies that can make 500 to a billion dollars. And they were right. But then the pandemic happens, and then streaming became this huge, huge thing, and it, it became this, you know, this is the end-all, be-all of Hollywood. And now I feel like we're in the correction period of all of that thought process. Now we're looking at the box office and saying to ourselves, you know, uh, from what I'm hearing from studios, it's like it's kind of a slower output because I think there's also the fear of the pandemic still out there. I think they're trying to kind of like get as many, you know, doubles and triples and home runs that they can. And before it used to be, well, just put out a Marvel movie and, and that movie is going to hit a home run. Put out a Batman movie, that's going to hit be a home run. And while that's still the case, it, it doesn't feel as if it's as uh, strong of a case. So they're spacing these things out. And, and what has happened is because streaming became such a thing, the movies that used to fill in those six-week gaps, the, 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 you know, they're just going directly to streaming now. But I'm curious to see how much longer that lasts, especially as streaming becomes incredibly more shaky as we're going forward. Yeah. Uh, so let's let's talk about the family film marketplace. I just a little personal, quick personal story. The other day I was uh, uh, waiting to pick up uh, my daughter from her violin lesson, and I was walking in front of our local Alamo Draft House with my uh, with my three year old son, and he was looking at all the movie posters. He was like, "Oh, spaceship," because he saw the Lightyear uh, poster. He said, "Oh, animals," because there was a League of Super Pets poster and I realized as we were walking down them that none of these movies are coming out for weeks weeks and weeks and weeks and it had been I don't know again at this point three or four weeks since uh, the bad guys had come out since Sonic 2 had come out what is what is with the uh, the lack of 
stuff for kids in theaters, but also like the the push to get. I mean, I I, I blame my 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 own take on this is I blame Disney for pushing all the Pixar stuff to Disney Plus. But like, where where are the where are the family friendly features? Um, I think it has to do with the pandemic still. I think that, you know, I, you know, I was vaccinated last year. I know some friends who have children who haven't been vaccinated yet because there's not a vaccine for some kids out there under the age of five. And while I'm a big believer that like, okay, well, I'm vaccinated, I'm gonna enter, I'm gonna re-enter the world. That's how vaccines kind of work for me. Um, I understand that if I had a child and I can just kind of wait a couple of weeks for that movie to show up on streaming, I'm not going to risk their health potentially by taking them to a movie theater, even though there's been no evidence whatsoever that movie theaters are a place that is concerning. It, you know, they're safer than restaurants or, you know, air, uh, you know, some other things. Um, but basically what I've learned is I think that what's happening here is that there was such a delay because of this fear from parents to bring their kids to the movies that ultimately now we're just starting to catch up. And I think, if you look at something like uh, Turning Red, like Turning Red was put on Pixar, Disney probably lost out on a, you know, probably at least $100 million, if not more. That movie probably could have made $200 million domestically. And they didn't do it because it went directly to Disney Plus because they wanted to boost their numbers and boost the stock and all that other stuff. And what's going to be really interesting now is going to see is like, okay, if, if, if the stock market's not going to give you rewards for, you know, being, you know, getting an extra you know, couple million subscribers to Disney Plus, then isn't it smarter to kind of just put that movie into theaters? Because I've always made the point that, you know, movie theaters are the greatest marketing opportunity in Hollywood. You know, you can put a movie out in theaters and people are going to talk about it. And I think that's what kind of happened with the Batman a little bit is that like the Batman made $750 million, which is pretty impressive for a movie that came out in March. Also a movie that is three hours long. But I think the thing that was different from that movie than, say, Doctor Strange was that, you know, it came out in theaters. People knew it was going to come out on HBO Max. And some people waited, but other people were like, this movie's really good. It's got a point of view. It's got, it feels real. It's a different take kind of on Batman. Um, and, you know, why don't you go see it in theaters? Like, you should go see it. And people don't like missing out. With family films, I think they're, you know, we're going to see a summer where you're going to have Minions and Lightyear back pretty much very close to each other. You're going to see those movies do really well. And then we'll see what happens as we move on. But I think as long as the pandemic is still this lingering thing, I think parents are going to be fearful of taking their unvaccinated children to any public place, let alone a public place where they have to sit inside for two hours. And because of that, studios will be fearful to put these movies out on into theaters if you know, if people aren't going to show up, I think it's just fear leading fear at this point when it comes to family films. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I get that. Uh, I get that to a certain extent, though. Again, if you just look at the success of Sonic and uh, and and what is what has happened there, I, I'm a little skeptical that there's that that much lingering. Oh, there's fear. not. There's not. But I think that the studios think there is. Yeah, I think that's yeah. the thing. I don't think. Look at Sonic. Sonic did incredibly well. I think Lightyear is going to do incredibly well. The bad guys did pretty well for what it is. Yeah. I think there's definitely a market for this. I think we're just at the outer edges of where like these studios are still trying to like a Disney is still trying to feed their streaming services and protect themselves from the risk of people not showing up because they were concerned. I think both of those things are incorrect for theater i mean for studios i think i think we're going to start seeing now as we head into this weird area with streaming where it's going to be like okay well 
let's put this into theaters. And I don't think, I, I think they just needed more examples of family films doing well. And I think Sonic was the first of that. And that's why we haven't seen really any other announcements, even though kids have not been vaccinated fully. Um, we haven't seen any other announcements about movie Lightyear or Minions or anything like that. It's because Sonic did really well and it's showing studios like, oh, okay, we can put our family films into theaters and they can do really well because maybe we're think overthinking this. Yeah. Yeah. So what what's the overall sense from uh, studio folks when you when you're paying them about the the sense of the moment or is it a renewed sense of optimism and confidence or still still wait, wait and see. We're, we're not sure. I think it's a renewed sense of optimism with uh, but I think it's just in the beginning. I think we're in the early stages of that optimism. I think Dr. Strange making $750 million is really, you know, optimistic. I think we're going to, I think we're really, we're going to see that optimism either be, you know, boosted or dashed is like I said, with Top Gun. I think it's a movie that's not necessarily a superhero movie. It's it's made not necessarily for teenagers. I, I don't think even people under the age of 30 necessarily have a huge true connection to Top Gun. But if that movie does well, let's say if it brings in a couple hundred million dollars, um, I think you're going to start hearing people say theaters are back. Even the most, you know, staunchest critics of that, they're going to be like, well, movie theaters are a good opportunity. Maybe they're, you know, and so we're going to put more in. I think that this is just the beginning. I think it's easy for a Marvel movie to make $750 million. I think it's harder for uh, a movie based on a 1986 property, uh, you know, that has no sequel in the last 36 years to do the same. And if, if say that movie does well, if it brings in Mission Impossible type numbers, I think you're going to start hearing people say movies are back. I think they're already starting to say it, but they're saying it hesitantly. They're saying it cautiously. Yeah. I think the caution will go out the window if Top Gun does well. Yeah. Uh, just word of word of the buzz I'm hearing uh, all time dad movie. Number one, number one movie for dads uh, to go to go see. All right. So let's uh, let's let's shift to streaming a little. Let's get out of theaters. Let's go to streaming. Netflix has had a, a rough couple weeks here. Rough couple months. Really. It's it's been it's been rough sledding for for Netflix. They're, you know, declining subs, increased prices, uh, competition. What's going on? What's going on at Netflix? And uh, what do what do you think is is happening there? And what's their path out of this downward slide? So how we got. So if you go back, I think the, the, the craziest thing about this is the whiplash of it, because if you go back just two years ago, when Netflix brought in around 16 million subscribers that first quarter during the pandemic, everyone was like, oh my God, the every like the the future of streaming is here. Everything else is doomed. That was right in the middle of like theaters are extinct, linear TV is extinct. This is the future. Everyone go all in all the time. And I think everything kind of got boosted after years of, you know, Netflix being the darling of Wall Street. And their stock had gone up to like, you know, I think it peaked around seven hundred dollars you know, at the end of like, I think it was November of last year. And now it's, it's around 180. It has literally fallen off of like fallen off of earth. And I think the reason why is because we're at a point where, where, where people who maybe didn't understand how Hollywood history has worked, tried to force the future. And I think there's something to be said about what made Netflix popular was it gave you a lot for a very small price. You know, you used to pay, I remember when I first signed up for Netflix, I would get all of these television shows that I loved. You know, you just get The Office and Friends and Parks and Rec and New Girl and, and you get all these really nice movies. 
and you'd only have to pay $10. And that was great. And now it's probably, now it's closer to 20 for the, especially for the 4K people like myself. Yeah. And at a certain point, and you've made this point before, it's like paying $10 for what basically is TNT is not bad, especially when it had all those shows and everything. Paying $20, no. Especially when you have HBO Max, which I believe, and I'm not saying this because I work at the same company, but I think it's the premier streaming service. Their content is way better because it's run through the you know HBO creative system. Say what you want about Disney. I think they have a lot of bargain basement content over there. But you know when they hit, when they get a hit, it's it's a hit because you know I'm looking forward to Obi Wan in a couple weeks. You know I think that's next week. Yeah. Um, and what's been funny is that people are talking about Obi Wan, but no one's really talking as much about Stranger Things, which is this huge franchise for Netflix. I think what just had happened is Netflix kind of got the bends, you know, in the, in the scuba diving term. They came up too fast. And I've always made the point that I was never a big believer in streaming. I've always said streaming is the tentacle of the octopus. It's not the full octopus. And for Netflix, there's nothing else that Netflix does. You know, if say on, you know, Disney reported their earnings last week and they had a nice Disney Plus, you know, turnaround, but let's say they didn't. They're, they're, their park still brought in $6.6 billion in revenue, which was double the year before. And if anything, cost for Disney Plus tripled. It tripled. So yeah. there's a certain level of like everyone kind of figured this is the future and it's going to come fast. And if we don't get on this speeding ship, you know, we're going to get left behind. But what kind of happened was they got on the speeding ship and it crashed. And now everyone's just like floating in the water. And that's especially the case for Netflix because Netflix, not only in terms of like, their strategy going forward and their success going forward is completely changed, but their culture has changed. You know, they put out this memo a, a couple, I think it was last week. It basically was like, if you don't like working on the shows, like some of the shows that we make, some of the TV, like some of the movies we make might offend you. If you can't, you will be forced to work on those shows. If you don't like it, maybe Netflix isn't for you, which is basically saying, hey, if you don't like, you know, if you don't like what you're working on here, if you don't like doing your job, then quit. And that's coming after the Chappelle thing. And I think what that is saying is that that's a huge shift in terms of their culture at Netflix, which was always this big place when it came to culture. You would have to kind of read their culture manifesto if you ever wanted to get a job there. You know, it was always this kind of like diverse type of atmosphere. And it still is. And they still care about diversity. I'm not saying that. But for them to say something like that is just deeply concerning if you're working there and there's just been leak central, like they're basically saying we're going to get into advertising now, which is something they went backwards on. Uh, you know, they're going to crack down on password sharing, which was something they said they were cool with. It just, it just seems like the party's kind of over and like the check is finally here yeah. and now they have to kind of pay it and they're paying for it dearly. Yeah. No, I mean, I, uh, I, the, the, the corporate culture memo thing was very interesting to me because it was definitely, uh, a the first real pushback I've seen from any of these creative companies that they are tired of being run by their slacks. Mm -hmm. They are they are they are essentially tired of you know having employees uh, try to dictate policy, which is interesting. It's not it's it's not something you see a lot of in this day and age. We'll see if it works out for them. You know. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see, and I think it will be interesting to see what other companies do as well because you got to remember. I would not be shocked if we're heading into an era of corporate silence from these creative companies when it comes to political or cultural issues. I, I, does, is that right or wrong? That's debatable. But I think after what you know, companies have seen happen with Chappelle and Netflix and then to a certain extent DeSantis and Disney, I think these creative companies are now like, okay, well, you know, maybe it's better if we just say nothing 
and just take care of this stuff internally and take care of our employees and not put out a corporate statement and just take our lashing on Twitter for a week rather than come out with a statement that maybe we don't even necessarily understand or believe in. And then all of a sudden it goes from a few days lashing on Twitter, which depending on who you talk to, does Twitter really matter? I don't know. Um, I just, I just don't know. I, I, I don't know if that really matters as much as a couple of years ago, comparatively to, you know, putting out a corporate statement then leads to a uh, Republican governor stripping your tax breaks or having your employees go completely into revolt and like, you know, leaking internal metrics about your shows. Like I said, is, is, is it up to a corporation, especially a creative corporation to be the harbor of culture and politics? I don't know. That's debatable. But I think that we're starting to see them kind of enter this silent period where they're like, we'd rather get lashed on, you know, Twitter than get lashed by our employees or by politicians. Yeah, yeah. You know, speaking of Netflix and and kind of how they do things, here's a weird here's I just want to throw this out there and get your take on it. So the gray man, the gray man coming out in like six weeks, something like that, seven weeks, uh, cost two hundred million dollars. It's the most expensive Netflix movie of all time. Nobody knows anything about it. Nobody. There's nothing. We we don't know it. There's no. There's no stills. We don't. There's no trailers. Uh, I, I I couldn't even really tell you what it's about outside of like the 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 most broad terms possible. How does this work as a business proposal for the company? I mean, I just don't understand how you can sink that much money into a thing that nobody knows anything about and just be like, okay, here it is. It doesn't. Great, that, that the simple the simple answer is it doesn't work. Like it doesn't work at all. I wrote I wrote a story for CNN Business a couple of weeks ago that is now present because I said what Netflix should do is come to terms with an old with an old adversary and that's movie theaters. And I said this earlier in the podcast, but like the reason that we don't know a lot about this is the same reason we don't know like you know, okay, Red Notice was the biggest movie in the history of Netflix. I will give you a thousand dollars right now if you can go on the street and find me five people that if I said wrote, who who was in Red Notice that they would know who the hell I was talking about, and that's because for decades and even for the last century, what movie theaters did was market the movie for the studio, basically. Like you know, you would have like that's what a trailer is. A trailer is a preview, and you know these studios would go out and spend millions of dollars on marketing because they would get that in return from something that the movie theaters were also doing for them. Netflix can't do that. Have you seen a commercial for The Gray Man? Have you seen a commercial for like for Stranger Things 4 or 5, whatever one we're on at this point? No, you haven't because they you have to spend money in order to market those type of movies. And instead, what Netflix had did was, well, if we spend $200 million and make this movie look crazy and have it star Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans and Arena De Amis, then people are just going to sign up for Netflix because those names, no, they won't. Because now, like, it used to be the case a couple years ago, you could put a movie out that start, you know, that had Brad Pitt in it and people would sign up for it because it was, they were paying $10 for it. They're not going to do that anymore. Instead, you know, you're seeing these shows that, you know, I, I can't throw a rock and not hit and hit a piece of marketing for Obi-Wan. Like it's everywhere. It's it's on taxi cabs. It's everywhere because Disney knows what they're doing in terms of marketing because they've had decades of marketing movies. And basically, Obi-Wan is just a six-hour movie. Netflix doesn't know necessarily how to do that. And I don't know if Netflix has the type of money 
to type of to market these type of movies. So instead, they're just going to be like, all right, well, we're just going to use our biggest marketing thing, which is the front page of Netflix, which is hugely thin. I've always said if they put a picture of me on the front page of Netflix, it would get billions of hours of views because like basically everyone goes there. But at a certain point, if you're starting to lose subscribers, like I'll be honest, I haven't used Netflix. I, I, the only thing I use Netflix for is Seinfeld, which I could watch on TBS or TNT. I haven't watched any of their original content. I watched The Adam Project last month out of just like, you know, for kicks. I, I don't go to Netflix anymore. I go to Disney Plus. Yeah. I go to HBO Max. Yeah. I go to Apple. And so if people aren't coming to your service, then they, you can't market anything. And if you're not going to market it, if you're not going to spend the money, that's why none of these movies have any sort of you know, branding whatsoever. And now we're hearing rumblings that Knives Out 2, a movie franchise they spent half a billion dollars on, they're talking about a 45-day release in theaters. That, that, that was reported. And I think that would be incredibly smart because at this yeah. point, not only would it be good for theaters to get some diversity in there from movies that aren't you know, starring people who wear tights, but it'd be good for Netflix if they want to have this company really move forward going on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just uh, for folks who for folks who would like to know the gray man. Here's the synopsis from IMDb. It's when the CIA's most skilled operative whose true identity is known to no known to none accidentally uncovers dark agency secrets. A psychopathic former colleague puts a bounty on his head, setting off a global manhunt by international assassins. And look, that's the most generic uh, description of a movie of all time, uh, but here it's directed by the Russo brothers, Anthony Russo, Joe Russo, the guys who made uh, the last two Avengers films, the last two Captain America films. Uh, it stars Anna Darmus and Chris Evans and Ryan Gosling, right? It's got big stars. It's got big directors. Uh, in theory, it should be, this is the sort of thing that should be a big hit somewhere. Um, you just have no idea what it is. And it's going to be, it'll be on your Netflix screens in six weeks. The other thing I hate to say too, is that Netflix has kind of built up a brand of subpar stuff. Like they, they have like, listen, there's a lot of stuff that I've really loved from Netflix. And when they do a great job, they do a great job. I loved the Irishman. I loved marriage story. I loved, you know, Bo Burnham's inside. I thought that stuff was really creative and great, but even like, but most of the stuff they put out there is, is kind of like stuff. Like I would watch on TNT on some random Saturday and probably be cooking while I'm doing it. black background blockbusters. Um, and now if you get that reputation, it kind of, kind of like people are eventually going to be like, all right. I mean, at the end of the day, listen, people are smarter than we give them credit for. People are going to be like, this is bad and I don't want this anymore. And this looks like it was, it was not well-made and people kind of like, people are looking for something that feels different than just stuff that was shot in front of a green screen and has convoluted plots that make no sense. Yeah. Uh, well, that was everything I wanted to talk to you about today, uh, Frank. Is there anything else I should ask? What do you think folks need to know about the upcoming entertainment uh, landscape? Um, so I wanted to bring this up very quickly because it was something that you said we might talk about. So I'll use this time to talk about it. Okay. But I think people need to stop hating on Avatar for the love of God. Oh, Avatar, my God. Yeah. Like, please, for the love of God. James Cameron outside of probably Piranha 2, his first movie, has never made a bad movie. His movies are all great. I would say most of them are masterpieces. And the last Avatar made nearly $3 billion. So the reason I bring this up is because the trailer came out. I saw it on IMAX when I went to go see Doctor Strange. And I was transfixed. I don't... Was it IMAX 3D? It was not IMAX 3D. And I was still still transfixed. My point of the thing is here is that people forget how incredibly immersive that movie is. Like you leave the planet. 
So I'm not going to bet against James Cameron. So my 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 point that I think that people need to really look out for here is that movie is going to be big. I think it would it, will it be the biggest movie of all time? I don't know. But it'll be interesting to see what happens internationally with that type of movie. I mean, China's kind of a mess right now with COVID. That movie was huge over there. So I wanted to kind of just say two things. I think keep an eye out as we move towards the winter for more Avatar stuff. And I think the buzz is going to start really picking up. Because And the second thing is, is, please, for the love of God, stop doubting James Cameron. We've done this. We've done this almost every couple of years. We did this with Titanic. We did it with right. Avatar. Now we're doing it again. We did it with Terminate. Like it, enough. Like those movies. Like he's made. He's made a. He's made a masterpiece nearly every time. I think his weakest movie outside of Piranha Two is The Abyss, which is still an incredible film. So, I, I just think I wanted to put out there. Keep an eye out on Avatar. Really picking up buzz as we move throughout the year. We're going to hear from the Abyss stands in the comments. I know that uh, big, a lot of people really love the Abyss. No, I, I mean, look, this, the, the, the trailer drops on YouTube and in the first 24 hours, it does 148 million views, which is more than any of the Star Wars movies when their teaser trailers dropped. Right. So like, uh, you know, people talk about how that movie has no cultural impact and how, oh, who, who, who's asking for another Avatar movie, blah, blah. I don't know, man. The movie grossed almost $3 billion and yeah. it's not like. People, it, it, people forget that when that movie came out, that people loved the movie so much that people were killing themselves because they couldn't live in Pandora. Like that was an actual thing that was happening. It was a thing. That's a thing. My that lord! Like I, who who wants a next Avatar movie? Frank does. That's who does. Frank. <laughs> Frank. Frank wants to go back to Pandora. We have to go back. That's what Frank is saying. Yes. All right. All right. Uh, thank you very much for being on the show, Frank. Uh, uh, again, CNN Entertainment Reporter. Love him. Uh, love to have him on. Uh, and uh, I am Sonny Bunch. I am the culture editor at The Bulwark, and I'll be back next week with another episode of The Bulwark Goes to Hollywood. We'll see you guys then. Mm-hmm.